Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the fourth installment of Heavenly Praise as we go through the, the hymns in the book of Revelation. Uh, my name is Mick, and uh, as the rest of the world probably knows me, the other guy. Uh, Big Reb sitting this one out, and, and uh, but um, here I am to to do the lesson instead. So, um, you know, uh, today uh, we will be looking at Revelation chapter fifteen, verses one through four. Um, as it was in the first century to the original readers and listeners um, of of this book, Revelation is a book designed to reaffirm the Christian's allegiance to to God and Jesus. Um, at times, it causes out. Uh, it challenges us, but it also encourages us and incentivizes us to persevere, to overcome, um, to stand our ground against Satan and and whatever forces he's operating with, um, be it Rome, the culture at large, or whatever, you, whatever tries to get us to compromise and, and even reject um, Jesus. And our Christian values. In, in Revelation, John calls us to, to overcome in the moment we find ourselves in. Um, he tells us to do this by reminding us that Jesus has already been victorious in the past, and he remains victorious in the future, and he gives us a glimpse of that future. So these are certainties that we can have as Christians. Uh, this is why the hymns give us hope, um, and, and they call us to join in on the celebration by singing songs of victory as uh, that we have in God and Christ and reminding us that God does indeed listen to the prayers of his saints as, as we saw in Revelation. And with that, we're going to, uh, in Revelations 5a, we're going to open up in a quick prayer here. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we do love you and we worship you and we exalt you because you really are the greatest of all time. Um, there is no one like you. There, there is no one who compares. There is no one who is completely independent and all-powerful and all-knowing as you are. I mean, God, you are in a league completely of your own, and, and, we, and we are in awe of you, and, and we humble ourselves before you because it's, it's the only real response we can have before some, someone such as you. We ask you that through your word, that you would speak to us and that your spirit will interact with us in a very special way. Engage us, engage our minds and our hearts and tell us something new or remind us of something that maybe we've forgotten. And we ask this humbly again in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's see what Revelations 15, 1 through 4 tells us. I, John, saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign seven angels with seven with the seven last plagues last because with them god's wrath is completed and i saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name they held harps given them by god and sang the song of god's servant moses and of the lamb Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. 
Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen. All of the, the hymns have shown us a victorious Jesus Christ. All of the hymns have shown us martyrs, those who have lost everything, their lives, for the sake of the gospel. Uh, in the presence of God, the Father, and of Jesus, as well as an impressive array of heavenly beings, worshiping and singing songs of worship before him. Uh, the saints are victorious, but not by the strength of their merit, but through the, their joining, to uh, being associated with and, and siding with Jesus. We join, we side, and we associate with God and Jesus when we acknowledge our sins and shortcomings and repent, trust, and obey Jesus each and, and every day. Notice earlier in Revelation, in the seven letters to the churches in Asia, repentance is offered not to the unsaved, which, which it is, mind you, but in, in this particular context, the people who it's it, it is being offered again to the people who are already believers. Um, in other words, repentance is not just part of becoming a Christian, but it's it's also the way of continuing as one, especially if, if one hopes to be victorious in Christ. Uh, trust and obedience go hand in hand. Um, you don't obey if you don't trust. The enemy's seduction is to get us to trust the trade guilds, the, the government, money, sex, whatever over God. Uh, we're constantly um, tempted to compromise, uh, to, to become ineffective Christians, whether through, through overt persecution or, or subtle attacks. It isn't easy being a Christian, especially not on our own strength. Um, we need God. We need Jesus. And right now I'm thinking of Christians in Afghanistan. Um, but again, this, this is something that, that has gone on all times and is going on around the world even now. 15.1 begins with a new scene. We are drawn to seven angels with seven plagues, not plagues, okay? I don't know what plagues are, seven plagues, mind you. Um, and, and these plagues are described here as the last because God is finally about to dispense his final wrath, his judgment, his justice. The earlier chapters focused more about hope in God, but here we see that it's, it's focused more on God's justice. It's, it says, in them, the seven plagues, the wrath of God is finished. Verse 2 tells us that there is a sea, and in the Bible, seas are generally a bad thing. Uh, they are unstable. They're chaotic. They are, they are things of instability, danger, and uncertainty. Um, from the Red Sea to Jonah to the disciples being stranded at the sea, the sea is a bad thing. But here, the sea is different. It is a sea of glass, tranquility, and it's mixed with fire. The fire represents the wrath of God as it, as it purifies all that is wrong because of Satan and sin in the world. Uh, the verse goes on to tell us that those who have been victorious over the beast, that is the Antichrist, those Christians were standing there by the sea. Some translators may say uh, on the sea instead of by or beside, but that doesn't really alter the significance of the scene itself. Um, God is worshiped by those whom he delivered. Notice those, whose harps 
the saints are holding. They came from God. Even the harps, even the worship is coming from God. Every good thing in our lives, salvation, access to the throne room of God um, through prayer, um, and even the means, the very means to worship God, the talents, the skills that we have to worship God, it all comes from him. Sound comes from him. Everything comes from God. Um, the Christian's victory is completely dependent on the victory of the Lamb, as seen throughout the book, and especially in the, in the hymns that we have been looking at. Going back to the imagery of the sea, uh, what was tumultuous is now crystalline. It is purified. It is tranquil. Now, God's throne sits upon it. But let's backtrack a little. In verse 1, the plagues are brought up. Verse 2, we have a sea. Plagues, sea. There's a lamb. Are you seeing it? Do you see it? Can you see the story of Moses and the Exodus here? Especially as we, we get to verse three. I, and I think it's very obvious that a comparison is being made between the narrative of Moses and that of Jesus. Both, after all, were the deliverers of God's peoples, um, of God's chosen people. Both delivered God's people from slavery. For Moses, part of the delivery involved the crossing of the Red Sea. In the heavenly sea, the sea is now crystal. Again, verse 3 makes it obvious that, that Moses and Exodus are, are foreshadows of, of Jesus' even greater victory and deliverance. And here now, the, the saints break into two songs, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. In both songs, God's power, his might, his sovereignty, and mastery over everything are in full display. By the way, especially because it's right, right after the crossing of the Red Sea in chapter 14 for its thematic elements. Also, the song in Exodus 15 is probably the one that makes better sense here. Um, Exodus chapter 15 goes on like this. I will sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its riders, he has hurled into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Yahweh is a warrior. Your right hand is majestic in power. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. And so on, and so on, the song of Moses continues. You, should, you guys should all read on Exodus chapter 15 for the full song, where, where he goes on praising God for who he is and, and what he has done. God has included the song of Moses here along with the song of the Lamb because God wants us to see that he's the same God, and that, and that through the Lamb, he's still doing the same thing on, on a grander scale. Uh, for even more detailed, uh, a more detailed comparison of Jesus and the Passover Lamb and all the goings on in Exodus, um, for, for those who haven't uh, done so yet, I highly recommend you check out the, the sermon titled Jesus in Exodus. In, in a, it's a great sermon in the sermon library at the bridge. Again, it's a, it's a great sermon in a great series. Okay, uh, it's found at thebridge.church. So if you, you click on the link for sermons, it, it'll take you there. Um, but now let's look at the song that is, that is actually written in chapter 15 of Revelation. God's works are, are called great and amazing. In the original language, the word for great is the, the word that we get our, our English prefix mega. Okay, in other words, what God does from creating the universe 
to salvation, to resurrection, to restoring, to everything that he does. God is big. It's a big deal. Um, God is a big deal. Um, everything he does is also amazing. It's astounding, and it's worthy of our admiration. It's excellent, far above and beyond anything we can conceive. It's equal parts awesome and dreadful. As Lord, God is both master and owner. And I think I, that sense of ownership, when you think about Jesus' second coming, he's coming to reclaim what's his. He already bought it. The world already belongs to him. He just doesn't know it. Okay? Jesus is coming back to take possession as Lord and master. Um, think about it. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that we were bought at a price. That means that we need to honor God with the totality of our lives, all of it. Um, God is almighty. That means he's all powerful. Um, Spanish, they use the word todo poderoso. That means that, that he has power over everything. Um, and and uh, again, more powerful than, than everyone and everything and anything since. And, and if we were to have any real hope and certainty in anything, we need for God to be more powerful than, than, than all the Goliaths, the Babylons, the Romes, anything that arises to challenge him. We need for him to be almighty and all powerful. We need God to have the power to deliver on every promise he has made. And I believe, again, creating something out of nothing, he, he, that box, he's the only one that can check it. Uh, God is just, he's righteous for those keeping score. This is probably the last, this is the last time that this word appears in the Bible, uh, in, in, in the original language. What this means is that, that God is never wrong in his judgments and his judgments are final. As for God being true, God can never be wrong nor ever lie. Um, it's not in his nature to be wrong or to lie. I like how Romans 3, 4 puts it. Let God be true and every human being a liar. As kings of uh, as king of the nations, God is sovereign over all. Uh, verse four asks us, "Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify Your name?" It's a rhetorical question, but that is basically saying that that you cannot possibly glorify God unless you are in utter and complete awe of Him. Um, that's what it means. Because if you're not in utter or complete awe of Him, then you really don't know Him. You have, in order to know him, you have to be in, in, in a state of complete awe about him. Because again, the more you get to know God, the closer we draw to God, the more we realize how undeserving we are, the more we realize how sinful we are. And that ought to trigger a sense of gratitude because we start realizing how great his grace in our lives really, really is. Um, fear is not always a negative thing. And in this case, it is really the sensible response towards someone as great as God. For you are holy. Holy means to be set apart. Uh, we Christians are called holy, we're called saints, and we're set apart. But we're set apart from the rest of the world and from God's wrath and, and his judgment. But, but God is on a, on a totally different scale of what it is to be holy, to be set apart. Um, he is the holy of holies. He is set apart from creation because he himself, unlike everything else, was never created. God is not created. As Genesis 1-1 puts it, the beginning follows from God. There is no beginning without God. God brings the beginning. God exists before time. He exists before space, matter, energy. 
Any category you want to throw in there, God is before that. God is pre-beginning. Um, and then as like Joe is, is very fond of saying, in the award ceremony for a category for completely independent, self-sufficient, self-existing being, God would be the only nominee. Are you tracking with me? Are you beginning to see why God and God alone is worthy of worship and to be feared and revered? This is the God that we worship. In fact, all nations, it says, that is, everybody will worship God. Philippians 2.10 puts it this way. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The song ends saying that God's acts are righteous. They are, they are just, again. Uh, and there will be judgment. There will be a reckoning. There will be justice for all. Going back to verse one, this is God's wrath. This is God's grand finale. In the end, everyone will acknowledge God. Everyone. But there will be two camps. Those who will fall under the wrath of God and those who get to sing and play in the victory song, in the victory chorus. Um, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that victory chorus. Oh, when the saints come marching in, I want to be a part of that. That's why I'm taking to heart the, the, the admonishments in the book of Revelation. By the grace of God, I will not capitulate to the Antichrist or the many Antichrists that are already surrounding us. First uh, John 2.18 tells us that many Antichrists, that is, anyone or anything that, that goes against Christ or Christianity, that goes against the Bible, they're already here. Prayer and worshiping God, these are the tools of our warfare. They are the, the only tools for victory in the Christian life. As we began today's lesson, and as we continue to be reminded throughout this series, Revelation and these hymns show us that Jesus was victorious in the past and remains victorious in the future. In other words, he's still in victory right now, okay? And we can have that victory right now in our circumstances. So let's continue worshiping God. Um, Let's continue worshiping him, especially in, in an increasingly anti-Christian culture that, that we, we, we are constantly finding ourselves in. I don't think anybody 10 or 20 years ago would have foreseen where our culture is going, but God did. God knew, and he told us all along, and he's telling us all along, and he'll tell Christians all along whether this world goes on to live another thousand years or whether it ends tomorrow. We got victory in Christ. So hang in there, true believer. The best is yet to come. This has been Masterclass Theology. Thanks for listening, and God bless. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.